It's Thursday, February 22nd. Today's WBFO brief was recorded at around 8.30 in the morning. This is WBFO News. An Amherst man faces a murder charge in connection with an Allentown shooting death in September. 28-year-old Nigel Flint was arraigned Wednesday on one count of murder in the second degree. According to the Erie County District Attorney's Office, Flint is accused of using an illegal gun to shoot and kill 28-year-old Darnell Lynch Jr. on Allen Street in the early morning hours of September 16th. Flint was located by authorities in Detroit on January 29th and returned to Buffalo to face prosecution. New York State's longest-serving commissioner of the Department of Environmental Conservation is leaving his post. Basil Sagos was originally named to the lead the state's environmental watchdog agency in October 2015 by then-Governor Andrew Cuomo. Sagos announced his departure rather in a letter to staff thanking them for their work and dedication. He reportedly plans to remain at the head of the DEC until the conclusion of the current budget process in Albany. An advocacy group that stands in opposition to plans for the Kensington Expressway is working to keep the conversation alive. The Eastside Parkways Coalition, in collaboration with Preservation Buffalo Niagara, will host a Zoom conference tonight from 6 until 7.30. The session will include a presentation from John Norquist, the former mayor of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who will share his experience with urban highway removal. Organizers say tonight's discussion is also a response to Governor Hochul's announcement last week that the Kensington makeover project will move, quote-unquote, full steam ahead. Republicans have their choice in the 26th Congressional District seat race. West Seneca Town Supervisor Gary Dixon has been endorsed by both the Erie and Niagara Republican committees. Dixon, a retired Army veteran and federal law enforcement official, will face New York State Senator Tim Kennedy in the April 30th special election after Brian Higgins vacated the seat to take a position as president of Shea's Performing Arts Center. New York's 26th district represents much of Buffalo, uh, Lackawanna, Tonawanda, North Tonawanda, and Niagara Falls. Niagara County Community College is no more. The college is now named SUNY Niagara. President of the college, William Marabito, unveiled the college's new logo at an event at its Sanborn campus on Wednesday. SUNY Niagara began the renaming process in the fall of 2022 and spent a year and a half researching, designing, planning, and vetting at various levels of the college to choose the name as the successor to NCCC. And Buffalo Common Council member Zanetta Everhart is calling for an increase in funding for after-school programs across New York State. The resolution is calling for an extra $119 million for grants, $5 million for quality support through the New York State Network for Youth Success, $3 million for professional development. This comes in response to a recent advocacy effort in Albany led by after-school advocates in January. The WBFO Brief Podcast is made possible by Canisius University. Join Canisius on Saturday, March 2nd for a Discovery Day event to learn how your high school student can prepare for college now. Register today at canisius.edu slash visit. The New York State Department of Transportation is asking a state Supreme Court judge to dismiss a lawsuit regarding the department's handling of its Humboldt Parkway restoration project. The suit was filed by two Humboldt Parkway residents and, if successful, would force the DOT to conduct a more thorough environmental review process before it begins construction. An environmental review conducted by the department found that the project would have, quote-unquote, no significant impact on the human or natural environment. But Terrence Robinson, 
One of the plaintiffs in the case says the review was not comprehensive enough. All we want the New York State to do is to follow the law, but it's a hugely important issue because if you can put a billion-dollar facility in the middle of a residential neighborhood, take five years to construct it, and all of the things that are involved with that, and claim that there are no short-term or long-term environmental impacts, then you've nullified environmental protections in the state of New York. The DOT's project will cover a three-quarter mile stretch of the Kensington Expressway with green space, allowing car traffic to continue underneath. Robinson and other members of the Eastside Parkways Coalition instead want the department to close most of the expressway and restore the original Olmsted Parkway in its place. Both parties to the suit were in court yesterday to see if the suit would move forward, but a judge ultimately delayed his decision until early March on procedural grounds. It was a hectic day when we visited the SEPA gallery. Staff and volunteers were moving and hanging works a day in advance of the opening of The Power of Resilience and Hope, Photography in the Holocaust, Then and Now. We chatted with Executive Director Claire Leggett. The importance of this exhibition is to create a conversation around hatred and othering. And the really key points when you come to this exhibition is to look at the effects on people not in a group, not in this this broad space of just, oh, they're, they're the others, but looking individually one at a time um, and thinking about the ways that they have lived their lives and the ways that the hatred and the racism and anti-Semitism and experiences that they've had have impacted and affected them for generations. To fulfill such a large vision, the exhibition is expansive. It encompasses four of SEPA's galleries. It's been displayed at satellite locations. Virtual symposiums, including one tonight, have been scheduled. It features national and international artists. And there's a part two of the exhibition set to relaunch on March 23rd. The size seems to fit for co-curator Robert Hirsch, who shared his motivation. He tells of growing up in the New York City area, along with thousands of families who either were forced to flee Nazi Europe or lost close relatives to the Holocaust. Yet, as a young man, he was oblivious to the subject. He says that changed when he was exposed to the trial that would ultimately lead to the execution by hanging of Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann. Seeing these kind of extended clips on television with my maternal uh, grandfather, whose family had been just about wiped out by the Nazis, was just mind-blowing for me as, as a kid. I found it absolutely incomprehensible and uh, just had no foundation to process it. And that kind of began kind of like a lifelong uh, kind of internal quest to figure out, I mean, like understand like what happened, reasons why it happened, uh, what might be able to be done in the future from making things like this happen again. Robert Hirsch's co-curator is Ruby Merritt, a visual and teaching artist. Her passion for the exhibition is as much on display as the artwork that she helped to carefully arrange and the many artists she helped to recruit. We see a piece of paper with, with holes in it, like it was in the binder and, and these documents and these, these like it has um, the ability to really connect to a whole other different 
oh, I have stuff like that. Oh, I can put something together like that. So it's this really kind of um, welcoming uh, kind of work. And I think as an educational center, that's so important that we connect people to want to make and be creative after they see space in an exhibition. There's a major point worth noting about the power of resilience and hope photography and the Holocaust then and now. Visitors will see photos from the times of the Holocaust, but in many cases, artists are using them to relate new messages and meaning. We didn't feel like those needed to be uh, highlighted again. You know, what we're trying to show is, again, how um, taking work from the past, you build on it. And I think, you know, to me, this is, it's also an example of how whatever creative activity is being done is based on activity that went before. Other pieces utilize ephemera of the Holocaust, documents, clothing, suitcases. You know, and again, the suitcase, you know, when, when people were uh, deported, they were allowed to bring one suitcase. And, I mean, so that's what that symbolized. And, of course, you know, when they got to where they were going, the, you know, the Nazis just took the suitcases and anything, you know, that was in it. I mean, also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was a way of controlling people, you know, that they were, quote, going east, mm. um, you know, and they were going to be resettled. The scheduling of the exhibition was set long ago and not influenced by the October 7th attack in Israel. Coincidence aside, the purpose of the exhibit, as Claire Leggett says, is to get people thinking and talking. I want them to come with a, a sense of curiosity and a, a sense of excitement to view work in a new context. Um, something that's become really clear is that you're experiencing imagery from the Holocaust, you're learning about the Holocaust more frequently now than, say, when Bob was a kid. <laughs> um, so you have a kind of a set baseline already, um, but come in with an open mind and be ready to experience that this isn't just inherently the same retelling of the Holocaust. We think about history as a set and stagnant thing, that it's happened and it's done, um, but that's not true. History is ever-evolving, ever-growing, and ever-continuing. And be ready to engage with that as where you stand in the point of history. Currently on display at SEPA Gallery at the Market Arcade on Main Street in downtown Buffalo, The Power of Resilience and Hope, Photography and the Holocaust Then and Now, is designed to provoke thought and challenge judgments. Once again, co-curator Robert Hirsch. Like right now, uh, President Biden appointed Deborah Lipstadt uh, to be uh, kind of the czar of anti-Semitism. And she made a statement recently saying that uh, no democracy that has tolerated anti-Semitism has ever been able to survive. And I think in this time of worldwide rising anti-Semitism, you know, this is really important. Part one of The Power of Resilience runs through March 15th with part two, set to open on March 23rd at SEPA Gallery. For WBFO, I'm Jay Moran. Don't forget to like or subscribe so you can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, leave a review too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team are made possible by our members. Thank you for listening.